0: Welcome to the My Risk Advisor podcast. This podcast is for the Australian financial planning ecosystem, and we focus heavily on life risk insurance. So, whether you've been around for many, many years or you're just starting out, I think you'll get heaps of value out of this podcast. I'm your host, Phil Thompson, and I am a life risk insurance specialist, so, I geek out on insurance all day, every day. Hey there Australia. In today's episode we have Andrew Kasperson who is the head of individual life at OnePath Zurich. We can't do this podcast without the help of Zurich and OnePath. So, I just want to start by saying a massive thanks to Zurich and OnePath, who are your partner in life and also the proud supporters of the My Rescue Advisor podcast. So, I got Andrew on today to talk about the product design process with the new income protection policies. thought it would be really interesting to hear about their process, how they dealt with, you know, going with APRA's guidelines as well as the Actuaries Institute guidelines and all of the um, upcoming changes as well. So we start off this chat with Andrew and I ask him, what was involved with the product design process with the new IDII contracts leading into the 1st of October? All right, what was involved with the product design process with the new IDII contracts leading into like the 1st of October from the insurer's point of view?
1: Yeah, Phil, it was it was a very interesting process to go through because normally when you develop a product, you sort of know what the market is doing or, or where you're going to be pitched in the market. So it was a very interesting process. Um, we ha- obviously had the APRA fairly broad guidelines and we also had, um, as part of the development, the Actuaries Institute came up with a reference product for the sort of boards to use to, to compare any offers we came up with. Yeah. So we actually started the process internally by saying, setting up some guiding principles because we said okay if, if you're a person paying into a the pool of or the pot of money that's going to be used for for claimants what would you expect a claimant to do so we obviously have age 65 benefit periods so we said okay who would you be comfortable that is being paid a claim what a sort of what have they done what is their medical advancement have they got capacity so we just came up with a number of guiding principles that then allowed us to evaluate any any changes we were making against those principles. We had the great advantage um, for Zurich in that we had the two companies or the two insurers that had come together recently with OnePath um, being bought by Zurich. So it actually gave us the two different claims teams, two different underwriting teams, two product teams, so an experienced book. So it actually let us yeah. have a look and see, okay, what are the – the triggers we could see that are affecting the um, sustainability of the offer. So all that sort of came together. And then we we obviously had involvement with the FSC um, working group there. We had people on the Actuaries Institute Task Force. Again, we could feed that all back in and say, okay, what's the, if you look at the current products, and that's a starting point, what's the sustainability issues? You know, you're starting from scratch, different environments. So how would you design the product from the the bottom up. Yeah. We're very lucky as well. We also have, um, obviously, we can reach out to advisors and test concepts with them, and we also have extensive reinsurance relationships. So we could reach out to each reinsurer and say, you know, this is what APRA said, this is what the Actuaries Institute's saying, what's your data saying, and what's your sort of, to the reinsurers, what's your feeling around what are the challenges, what are the opportunities, and... Um, making sure, importantly, the end customer or claimant's still taken care of. And that was one of our, our guiding principles, paying genuine claims. So we sort of wrapped up and said, okay, how do we make sure we're paying genuine claims? How do we make sure we're getting money into people's hands as quickly as possible? Because for the sustainability challenges, our products have a... Pre-APRA products have a lot of good features to help people back to their best health, to help people encourage them to return to work, et cetera. So what can we learn from the the positives in the product um, to develop as well? Yeah. And and finally, I suppose, for being Zurich is we've got the global strength. So we could ask overseas um, any experience or anything they've seen in different markets.
0: Yeah, so just touching on the, the two different products, um, is, is unique in the market and, and seeing those – in terms of the data sets between the two insurers, was there much um,
1: differences between the two products and and kind of what did that look like? Yeah, there were was, there was slight differences because with the, the age of the book and sort of um, the size of the book are different as sort of when um, products have been sold in the past under Zurich and OnePath yeah. and um, there's also – A mixture. There's not just the current on-sale products. We've got some heritage products on both sides that have some different terms and features that we can look at as well. And um, for both offers, we'd started the sustainability journey a little while ago. So we had um, Income Secure Essentials um, and we had Income Protector. So we'd sort of got those products as well to say, you know, they're they're new products, how are they working in market as well. So we had a lot of um, data, a lot of insights we could get from our own book.
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, I guess I'm going pretty deep into this, but given that um, like one path went through different, you know, ING, you know, to be owned like different ownership groups, was the data a little bit, I guess,
1: messy in terms of that claims data? Not as such. Um, the OneCare product has been around since 2005 and has been a consistent. Yeah. So it gave us a fairly um, long data to, to look at um, and the... Prior to products of that, the bulk of that was the ING or Mercantile Mutual. So, again, a fairly um, stable as, for, as far as book to look at.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I guess you touched on the two different kind of guidelines um, between APRA's guidelines and the Actuaries Institute guidelines. So, first of all, give us an, a quick overview of like w- what were the major differences between the two um, and then how did, how did you guys go determining which one to follow?
1: Yeah, I mean, the difference was that the, uh, the the Actuaries Institute product was the reference product and went into sort of great detail of each aspect of a, an IP policy. So, sort of recommendation yeah. around what should happen to waiting periods and benefit periods and that sort of stuff versus, obviously, the APRA intervention was fairly high level because they didn't want to stifle market competitiveness. So, there was sort yeah. of statements around you need to have in place how to manage long-term claims. And the exposure to long-term claims, and that was sort of the extent of the the APRA guidance. There was yep. obviously the strict stuff around um, 70% replacement ratio long-term, but not, in, not into the detail. So, certainly when we looked at it, we sort of said, you know, what can we learn from the Actuaries Institute product? What things can be implemented in the current legal environment? And also, as I said, back to our guiding principles and our experience, what parts of the the actuaries Institute product do we want to to look at and and there was a lot of great insights there as well and how do we develop our own product that complies as well with the broad APRA guidelines
0: yeah I mean and and just talking about previous product you know innovations um, how did this differ um, from like previous product iterations that you guys had done
1: yeah it was it was as I said a very different experience because you when you do product innovation you can sort of say okay we're we doing something completely different from the market or we're we offering something but in this case we didn't know what everyone else is going to be offering as yeah. well we obviously had the broad parameters so it well, it was it was different and no, and sometimes when you do your innovation you'll run your new product or the different offer alongside your your normal offer to sort of test and learn in this case, I suppose the industry as a whole was testing and learning with the IP offers. We've gone out, and you're not sort of running your pre pre APRA products alongside.
0: Yeah. And and now we are well not even two months into it. I mean, where do you see yourselves in the market? And and what are your thoughts on on the other the other products out there? And and I guess I'll I'll preface this question with with a statement of I've spoken to many, many, many other people in the market, whether at BDMs or, or head of products, and um, some people are saying these guys are doing the wrong thing, or these guys are, you know, have taken, you know, the, the wrong step in in certain features and benefits that they thought everyone was going to do, but no one else did. And these people did something that no one else did and, and everyone else followed something else. So I guess, well, two questions. How, how are you seeing the other products and what are, your current, what are your thoughts on the current state of the market? And then I'll follow up with the question of um, what do you see changing in the next 12 to
1: 24 months? Yeah, Phil, great questions and, and certainly... Um, every every product provider is, and every insurer in the market is providing a product that meets the APRA guidelines. That's certainly clear. No one's gone outside the APRA guidelines. Everyone would have taken a different approach around what their risk appetite was and where they wanted to, to pitch their products. Uh, for us, it's certainly, I think, what stood us in good stead was that we had guiding principles and what we wanted to achieve with the product, and that was down to, you know, removing complexity, um, as I said, paying genuine claims and, and providing that support. So when we look at the market, it is it is very differentiated um, because people have done things around, insurers have done things around what they're doing for that long-term management of claims. Um, For some that is um, like us, they've changed from an own to an any occupation at two years. Others have uh, changed the replacement ratio at a period in time as well. Uh, We've had um, a lot of, um, there's some differences in what insurable income and the the tiering of insurable income. So compared to um, pre-September or pre-October, we've got a very differentiated IP offer in the market. Yeah. And I, I certainly feel for advisors and dealer groups as they try and work through all the different options and what works for particular clients. And I know, um, you know, BDMs and, and insurers are out there um, helping with that education piece and explaining where their product or how their product's been designed. So it is a it is a very interesting space we're in. And, and like all things we've always done as an industry, um, as product people, we look at the market and say, okay, we have all these differences, talk to the advisors, get feedback via your distribution teams, what are, yeah. is being liked in the, the other products, what are they seeing working. Um, and there's been sort of questions come through as well as as advisors and dealer groups get their heads around this, you know, this principal indemnity and, and what does it mean if people have got ongoing income and passive income. So answering a lot of questions there as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I talked to a lot of advisors as well. Uh, and there is a sense that, um, in the past, the product design from my point of view and, and looked like a, p- a product manager just got five different PDSs and went, okay, we like this, this, and this. Let's send it to the actuaries to price it. Um, and then send it to the marketing team to, to bring those numbers down a lot, um, to make sure it gets sold. Um, but, which, which wasn't the case with the new IDII products. It was all, everyone everyone was siloed. But now all the PDSs are out there. Do you see that as we are going to move towards a more homogenised income protection policy moving forward over the next one, two, three years?
1: We've obviously got, um, in October next year, we've got the um, third phase of the APRA intervention. So we've got the five-year reset of terms and conditions happening. So that will... Yeah. Um, drive some changes as well of, of how we implement that. And as I said, I mean, I think all product manufacturers will look and, and get feedback around what is working, what advisors want to see in the in the market and the customers. We still have to look at the um, sustainability of any offers and any changes we make to the products that we put out and also need to work out, is it, you know, what need is it is it servicing as well? But I think we'll see some potentially some of the aspects of the offers um, coming closer together. So maybe, you know, what happens to replacement ratios over time might become more standardised and less differentiation across across the board. I could see that as, as one area that perhaps standardisation is going to come in. Um, whether there'll be any movement on the tiering or the insurable income coming in is another possible area where there could be um, some consolidation in a particular direction. And yeah it's it's just going to be it's going to be an interesting time um and I loved your comments at the start around how we we put products together because I can certainly see how that's how that's viewed um but again often the often the developments over time in the i p products have been um, very much from feedback or from even looking at claims files and just and seeing you know where the, where was there a gap How where was there a gap in support that we needed to to provide extra um, to make sure that clients were supported in their return to health. Um, we're obviously a bit more restricted in the in the APRA intervention um, around what we can do as far as who we can pay expenses to. But I think we'll see the products um, will evolve. Um, I think for a number of years, we'll have differences um, in the offers as insurers have obviously put a lot of thought into how they've developed their offer. Um, and so they'll have to test any changes against the principles they put the product together under.
0: Yeah. Um, and, and just touching on that, I guess the, the concern of, or where we've come from is the, the market forces has, has made insurers all compete with each other in terms of the pricing. So there was a very similar income protection product. And then try to um, boost up ratings through the ratings houses and bring down pricing. And so, that's kind of where we have come from and that's why we're in the position that we're in. How do you, as as a product manufacturer, how do we not just do that again? Like, how do we make sure history does not just repeat itself?
1: Yeah, Phil, that's a great question and and certainly... um We often, as an industry, say, you know, it's been driven by research house and and search for ratings. But I think also we need to think around, you know, the genesis of the products pre-APRA intervention. They're probably 20, 25 years old as far as the, the basic design of them. And that was a very different environment that, you know, work environment, societal environment. You know, there was no internet. There was no working from home, remote working. Mental illness was not as... Well managed and, and recognised, and, and help provided, um, and so it, it's to me um, as a product person. It's actually it's given us an opportunity to reset and look at what the income protection products there for, and how we can support. Um, and I think it'll come back to it. As I said, there will be obviously some some melding together of the products offers in, in certain aspects, but I think we'll still as we'll see differentiation for a while. And we're certainly um, going to have scrutiny um, from the regulators but also the boards are now responsible under this APRA intervention for the direction of of how the products are developed and the and the offers in market and and so we'll need to um, ensure that we keep that sustainability at the back of our minds when we're doing any development.
0: yeah. Okay, so you touched earlier on the the next phase, where you know October twenty twenty two. We've got some changes. So first of all, help us understand what are those changes, um, and then also just explain why it was delayed twelve months.
1: Yeah, um, again, a great question. So the the changes that sort of came out, or the again, the broad direction is that every five years um, you must offer the product that's on sale at the time. So the product. That the client has ends and they get whatever the, the on sale terms and conditions are at that time is sort of the, the broad description of, of what's required. Um, there has been um, talk around whether that means you need to or w- whether it's going to be necessary to financially, occupationally and pastimes underwrite, but that doesn't seem particularly mandated, so that might be up to each insurer whether they, they reassess any of that at, at the five year mark. I think the the delay, and I can't put words into APRA's mouth, I think it just came back to around um, the industry has been working hard with APRA and, and around how this can be implemented um, in a legal structure because um, yeah. obviously we're moving away from guaranteed renewable contracts um, to contracts the terms are only guaranteed for five years. So how can that come into play? We had um, UCT um, unfair contract terms go live in April. We've had the design and distribution obligations, so there've been sort of discussions around how does this all work with the new, with the five years, and I think my personal view is that's sort of why we've had the delay to give us more time to work through those issues um, to to go out in October 22.
0: Yeah, and I mean there is a little bit of noise in the market that you know maybe it won't come come in eventually. What are your thoughts around that? Is do you do you believe that it'll be it'll come in October twenty twenty two?
1: Will it get delayed or will it just be forgotten about? I, w- I would uh, think more likely it is going to come in um, and probably in October twenty two. Um, that's sort of the word coming out. You know, in feedback we get that this work towards that because that's the timeline that we're working towards.
0: Yeah, oh, it's a crazy crazy time we live. <laughs> Um, I guess uh, my next question is more a, um, a Zurich and OnePath specific question uh, on your product that I would love to know is I know um, and and help me flesh this out a bit more but but under a contract that's held within superannuation, that income protection policy can be paid outside of super. Is that correct?
1: I, so, Phil, I think you're talking about uh, the Zurich approach to um, superlinking. So, yes. IP superlinking had a real purpose, particularly when we had agreed value and you had things such as trauma recovery benefit that were paid whether you're working or not. So you sort of had cashing restrictions. You had sole purpose. Now, the way we've structured our offers is there's no real difference between the super and ordinary as far as the benefits and features under those... The actual products. Under the actual products. So the real gap is the one that existed Um, which is another reason for superlinking and still exists is around the you need to meet the CIS temporary incapacity condition of release to be paid under superannuation, which, of course, um, as it strictly says, is that, you know, because of the injury or illness, you've ceased work. So there's always been if you're unemployed at the time of the injury or illness, you know, between contracts, you haven't really ceased because of the injury illness, you already ceased work. So that's the temporary yeah. incapacity gap. So for us, that was sort of the gap. And we looked at our, um, our experience on claims. Had we seen where this was a particular issue or a gap and, and therefore you go to the actuaries and say, you know, how much does it cost to cover this gap? Yeah. In the end, um, the decision, along with our trustees, was that we could offer complimentary cover. So if you take a, a cover under superannuation, um, we offer complimentary, the insurer offers the complimentary cover. So the event that you are disabled by, well, why unemployed or et cetera, we will pay under the ordinary policy. So we always first look to the superannuation and say, do they meet, can we pay under the super? If we can't pay under the super, um, can we pay under the complimentary ordinary?
0: Yeah, I um, really like the feature. However, I've always had the question, well, for the last month and a half that I've known about it, I've always had the question about how does that actually meet the, the CIS Act? Like, okay, so I'll give you an example. I'm a financial advisor. I charge my clients a, a fee through their super fund for financial advice that relates to their super fund. And then I, as a, as a business, give them complimentary mowing services. And I charge their super fund for my advice fee and I give them a complimentary service elsewhere. Like, is that comparable? And if not, why not? Um, and so how does how does an insurer give a complimentary feature that doesn't meet the SIS Act?
1: Yeah, Phil, an in- interesting question and way, way to ask the question. So um, there's obviously no premium associated with the the complimentary cover that is, is funded through superannuation um and then again as i said when we look at what the the cost of it is the insurer is sort of wearing that wearing that cost and providing that cover is is how we're doing it we've obviously had uh our our legal teams and we've also had our trustees agree that they're comfortable that that is allowed within the superannuation environment
0: yeah i mean it's an interesting feature and i mean i like it i think it's good for clients i think it's good for everyone but I, i've always been like oh i wonder how that how that works, and and the answer I've gotten from you know everyone I've asked is um, the legal team says yes, and the trustees say yes, so we're all good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which uh, yeah, which is good, I guess. Awesome. more. I guess um, the last, the final few questions is where do you see uh, the industry in the next ten to fifteen years?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, the insurance is a it's certainly an interesting environment where. We've been operating in and continue to head in. We know there's pressure on the advice side around uh, advisor numbers and the cost of providing advice. Uh, we've obviously had a lot of regulatory changes um, that have affected uh, different channels, as far as you know, what can you offer through direct now with the add-on insurance legislation. Um, but I suppose overall, the the industry. Serves a real purpose, so I think the future's rosy, rosy for the industry. I think we will um, continue to see um, insurers in the industry looking at um, what are products needed to to meet future needs or needs of customers. Now we've you know we've all had to look at you know post COVID, we're going to have more people working remotely. Are uh, we going to have you know the gig economy is being taken off? taking off so how do we provide sort of cover there um so i think the the industry will continue to evolve uh we the the products we're putting out should address the sustainability issues and apra has obviously challenged the industry as a whole that um you need to look at all your channels and all of your products with a sustainability lens and see what changes you need to make to drive the sustainability so we will embrace more digital, so certainly around how we can increase um, efficiency for advisors in, in onboarding or in serving their clients, so what tools and technology and support can insurers give to advisors, and at the same time, what can we, we give our customers um, to show them that the promise will be delivered on and just and, and reinforce the value of the cover that they've taken out and the advice they've received.
0: Yeah, and I guess I'm um, more specifically to income protection, seeing that that's kind of the majority of our our conversation. Is um, where do you see that moving? Do you see from 2022 those changes will be the last for quite a while, or do you feel like there will be a kind of a rolling intervention from from regulators?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, and I, and we'll need some time after October 22, just actually see, you know, what are the changes we made in October 21, what are the changes in 22 mean um, for the sustainability in, in, of the industry. I think we'll see um, maybe a bit of stability on the IP um, because the we've obviously put in place products that are designed for the long term and we need time to see how they... Just
0: to clarify, st- stability of premiums, you mean, or stability yeah. of product?
1: both i think with the ultimate aim is predictable pricing and stability of pricing and that will come about probably from stability of products as well so I, i think ip will there'll always be um changes needed as we look as i said if we look at markets that are emerging so you've always got it's obviously terms and conditions but you also look at how you provide the products out and and underwriting so is there you know the industry's always looked for particular sectors at various times. What's an offer we can do for mining? What's an offer we can do for farming? What are emerging markets? As I said, the gig economy is their offers there. Um, so they'll always be a, uh, looking at are there new customer segments that are not being serviced that we can help with and design offers for.
0: Yeah, awesome. Final two questions. First of all, when do you get a chance to answer emails?
1: Um, I tend to be... It's a bit naughty but I tend to be one of these people that tries to jump on emails uh straight away so you know probably every half an hour I look at my inbox and see if they are the ones I can knock over quickly or you know being a manager I can delegate to someone else so that's generally my approach with emails.
0: Yeah. And the last question what's one interesting hobby that you have?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's pr- probably interesting hobby is I um I'm lucky enough to have a sort of bush block in the in the Hunter Valley so um it's quite large, although I've got four big steer mowers. Uh, it doesn't need mowing. So I suppose my hobby at the moment on weekends is getting on the ride on and just cruising around and mowing, which is a good experience given the drought we had for a few years. So, yeah, that's probably my hobby. Do you listen to music or podcasts while you're doing that or are you just, just the open air? Just the open air and, and um, one of the other advantages is no mobile reception or anything out there as well. So yeah, just like the open dream. air and the hum of the mower.
0: Yeah, perfect. All right, awesome. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, I know I've got a lot of value out of it and I know the listeners will. Um, if people ha- want to reach out to you and connect, how do they go about doing that?
1: Uh, probably best through through LinkedIn um, It's the best or uh, through if they've got a Zurich BDM, reach out through the Zurich BDM. Awesome. Thank you very much, Andrew. No worries, Phil. Thanks.
0: Thanks for joining us today. If you've enjoyed this episode and you think someone else will get value out of it, I'd love it if you could forward it on to them. And as always, we can continue the conversation in the My Risk Advisor Facebook group. All you need to do, open up Facebook and search My Risk Advisor and I'll see you in there.